Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
Bradley McKee, a man you know well, TV. I'm looking to know him here a little better after a few minutes from Kentucky Sports TV. A videographer will be on, get his insights on how he sees things uh, from behind the camera. We got to talk about that B-roll. And, you know, I got to talk about a little bib talk. I'm going to get enlightened on that. I'm looking forward to all of that. Hope you all enjoyed it as well. Uh, so that's coming up around the corner. Be able to talk about this in just a few minutes. Yeah, uh, Bradley and TJ Beesner of uh, KSTV. I've run into them uh, going back a couple years from first calling, uh, first covering the games. Uh, awesome, awesome guys. So very excited to have uh, Bradley on. I'm sure we'll cover uh, we'll cover a lot of stuff with him. Absolutely. Man, let me just get your perspective. It's your second time in the brand-new press box at the New Commonwealth Stadium. Cats came up short against Auburn, but just just give me your thoughts and perspective of how the evening went. And of course, you were live tweeting the game and wrote a nice recap piece after the game was over. So just kind of uh, summarize that. We might get into that with Bradley as well. It's an addition to Mississippi State, the Louisville, and everything else we're jumping into. So let me just get your experiences firsthand from the box. I always like hearing that. Well, it, it, it's funny. I wasn't planning on going uh, to the game. I was going to watch it, you know, on TV, you know, with it being a That's Thursday what I heard. night. That's uh, what I heard. But our good friend Cameron Mills calls me up about 1230 and asked me what my plans are. He said, would you like to cover the game, you know, for his site, for Cameron Mills Radio? So I said, well, first, let me check with the boss lady. So I, I checked in with uh, Mrs. DB. She said it was okay, so I was able to get up there and cover it. And Thursday night games, the traffic is horrendous. It was <laughs> it was difficult with rush hour and all that in Lexington to get to the stadium, but uh, it was an electric atmosphere. You know, this is this is what the uh, Coach Stoops wanted. This is what Mitch Barnhart wanted: was a jam-packed Commonwealth Stadium, and they wanted uh, this electric atmosphere, and it was. Uh, there's a section of Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, it's to the. It's the. I don't know which direction, which end zone it is, but when you're in the press box, you look to the right, and those folks were there about 45 minutes before kickoff, and the sections were filled, and they were ready. And the crowd came in. Auburn travels well, and it was just um, it was just fantastic. Uh, the Cats started off slow. Uh, the defensively, uh, Auburn hit six of six on the on the third down conversions to march all the way down the field to score a touchdown. But to the team's credit, the Cats answered with with a touchdown of their own. Uh, my big takeaway, and, and Coach Stoops and, and Coach Dawson talked about this in their post game. there were just a lot of missed opportunities. There were plays to be made that, that weren't made. But here's the difference, and, and here's what you really have to look at and understand, is the guys, the players were in, in position to make the plays. Whereas in years previous, previous to Coach Stoops, I think we were getting outplayed and outcoached. Now it's just a matter of fine-tuning some things. And that's why I wrote, it's okay to be disappointed with the close game, 
because Kentucky outplayed Auburn in the second half. I mean, that that's obvious. Uh, but you have to put two halves together, and it's a slow process. You know, this, the growth of a program is not exponential. You know, it's incremental. That's the that's the thing uh, that folks need to keep in mind. It's not the same old Kentucky. Uh, that that just burns me up, and I know it burns up uh, Coach Stoops and company. There are going to be mistakes made in every game. You know, no team's going to play a perfect game. Uh, Alabama, when they were on their uh, great run, and, and USC uh, recently, you're going to make mistakes. But the mistakes are different. You know, we're, this is not a moral victory, but you have to be able to, to look and see you lost two conference games to two perennial powers in Florida and Auburn by eight points. You know, that that's that's something that you have to say that's an improvement. You know, when Coach Stoops arrived, the, the big call was let's be competitive in the SEC, and we are. We really are. I would be surprised if – uh, if we get blown out this year, I don't think we will. And I'm, I'm of the mindset, I, I think those 70 to 10 games, I think, are long gone, thankfully, hopefully. You know, Florida comes to town, Auburn comes to town, they've got a battle for 60 minutes. And when you look at both of those games, the Cats had an opportunity to win. That hasn't always been the case. So there is progress. You can be disappointed in the Auburn game, but you can't be discouraged because you can still look at the standings and you can say to yourself, Kentucky is ahead of several SEC programs and equal to others, which hasn't always been the case. You know, with Spurrier stepping down, what's going to happen to South Carolina? What's Vanderbilt going to do? You know, is is Missouri, you know, they've taken advantage of a lot of the perennial teams being down, but what are they going to do? And I think when you look at those kinds of teams, you have to say to yourself, Kentucky's in a very good position uh, to to be middle of the pack and prepare themselves to elevate even higher than that. Definitely. And Kentucky was driving, you know, had the ball with a chance to tie or win, you know, there against Auburn. Um, So, like you said, and, and, there's still going to be the perception, same old Kentucky, especially from other fan bases outside of Kentucky, even other media members outside of Kentucky. Uh, everybody isn't seeing it yet. They should, uh, but especially fans who follow closely and watch all these games year in and year out, week in and week out. Uh, you'll still see the media, well, Kentucky, out Kentucky, Auburn, Kentucky, way Kentucky, stuff like that. But, and, you know, technically the same old Kentucky doesn't apply. You know, like you said, teams have to play for 60 minutes. Uh, it's not uh, not the blowout, not the easy win, just show up and, and take care of business and walk out with the W. you gotta got to earn it now. Uh, and everybody is, is having to do that. It looks like the trend is going to continue. Um, we'll see how the, the second half plays out. Look to finish the second half stronger than last season. Uh, 
the recruiting is better, the, the players are better, the depth is better, and that will be tested because there have been a couple of injuries. We'll get to that. But like you said, the slow process is moving along right in front of our eyes. Yeah, and, and the Cats are sitting at 4-2, and two, and I, I feel confident that with uh, Charlotte and Vandy going in the W column, of course, you know, we've got to go out and play those games. Um, that's your sixth win right there. And I don't think that Tennessee or Louisville, two of our bigger rivals, do they look as scary now as they did at the beginning of the season, you know, if they did at all. So that's potentially six wins, eight wins. And as we look ahead to Mississippi State and to Georgia, I don't know how many folks saw the, the Georgia game. It was a 9-6 victory. Georgia's not Georgia because, like I told you, when they were looking good before Alabama, Georgia's going to Georgia. Georgia's going to undermark it. They're going to look good, but they they will put up some stinker games. And so I don't think that there's – I would not be shocked with any game that we won you know, I'd be disappointed if we lost to Vanderbilt and we lost to Charlotte, but there's a lot of games still at play. You know, eight wins is a possibility. Our eight and four prediction is still on the table. And what I don't want to have happen, and what happens is, you know, it's almost like every play, every down is a referendum on what Coach Stoops is doing. You know, every three and out, Oh, same old Kentucky. You know, every missed tackle, same old Kentucky. But you you have to step back and you have to say, look, we are four and two. Those two games, like I said earlier, by a total of eight points, the teams that routinely used to put up 50, 60 points on us, hello? I mean, (laughs) you know, it's not that long ago when Florida would come to town and hang half a hundred and not even break a sweat. So when you look at it, when you look at it that way, you have to say progress is being made, you know. Uh, and, and when you look at the national folks that cover uh, the SEC, a lot of those folks are saying the same thing. Kentucky, it's not the same old Kentucky. You know, we're, we're going to lose games. Like I said, there's going to be plays that don't get made. That's just the nature of the beast. But that's the right. program is improving, and uh, for those folks that don't see it, I just those are your half, uh, your glass half full, empty people that just want to be negative, in my opinion. Yes, and we got a got a call about to get to in just a second, but like you said, we both predicted eight and four. <clears throat> you break the season down into two games, into a four three game quarters. They went two and one the first quarter. Two and one in the second quarter, which leads them to being four and two halfway. Uh, got six games left, but they're on pace to do that, like you said. So we'll see. Uh, they definitely have ample opportunity to finish the second half stronger than they did last year, where they faded after starting five and one. But you know, you go two and one four times, that'll get you your eight and four. Uh, so they're pointing with Auburn, you know, coming up short, but they still got a lot of potential to do some good things. Let's get on the line and see if our, who our caller is, if it's Bradley. 
We'll see if it's Bradley and the sub will get in my introduction. If not, we'll see who else is calling. <clears throat> Hello, you're on the cat. Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, what's going on? Who's calling? Oh, not much. What's going on, fellas? Not so much. How you doing? Is this Bradley? Yes, this is Bradley. Oh, okay. Hey, welcome okay. to the show, Bradley. Yeah. Hey, how you early. doing? Well, yeah. yeah, well, you I'm told good, me to call, man. so I figured I'd, it's better to be early than late, right? That's right. That's there right. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we have, let me get you a little intro. We got the videographer from Kentucky Sports TV. TV, I already know them. We got Bradley McKee on the line. And, you know, let me just try to perform over this. It's, uh, you know, but we're definitely happy that you called in, man, for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say? I just kind of gave a little intro of what you do and, and your title and all that, and then just said once again that we were glad to have you on and um, going to get a little perspective of how things are from your eyes, how you see the game as a videographer. You know, a lot of my questions mm-hmm. don't be so basic. Gonna, I'm going to have so many basic questions. You'll be like, really? This guy doesn't know this, really? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask him anyway because <laughs> I'm going to learn <laughs> when I hear your answer. <laughs> And you and TV already know each other from, and you and Terry already know each other, right? Uh, yeah, we yeah, see we, each other. We uh at the games, we chit chat and talk, you know. But yeah, good deal. Now, good deal. Real, real quick, Vinny, the 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 little bibs thing that we were talking about on Twitter uh, the other day is uh, the media folks, the uh, the videographers and that kind of thing. They have to wear these little like. Uh, they look like racing bib kind of things, but they're not made for average size people. So when Bradley and TJ have theirs on, it's it's quite comical to to see these guys with these little bitty numbered bibs uh, when they're walking around. Oh, most definitely, <laughs> these things look like uh, it looks like we're about to either run a marathon or we're gonna go to Red Lobsters and have crab legs or lobsters or something <laughs> like that, dude. It's it's bad. <laughs> It's really bad. Everybody laughs at me in it, and I was like, what else am I going to do? Matter of fact, when when I was going to get food in the media room up there, one of the guys behind the counter that was serving the food, he said, are you going to run a marathon today? I said, no, dude, I'm going on the field, man. I'm going on the field. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, now, luckily, I don't have to put one of those on, but it, it's always a good chuckle when you see these two guys with these little bitty bibs running around. And they're not the only ones, but it, it's what, <laughs> it's always good for a chuckle or two. Oh, most That's definitely. You know, I just don't know why, yeah, I just don't know why they don't, they don't give us just like one of those visa vests or, you know, something else or like, you know, like last year they gave us some kind of stickers, like a UK sticker, and you put it around your leg or your arm and everybody knows you'd yeah. be on the field. But now with these little bibs, man, it's almost like I'm in trouble. Like, you know, I, I need to sit in a high chair because I didn't, I can't eat on the table, you know, because I make a mess or something. <laughs> oh, all right. Go ahead, Vinny. I'm hoping to, uh, I'm definitely going to get up to a home game as a fan, hoping to get up and cover one of these last three home games just like you did, uh, courtesy of my man Cameron Mills TV. So uh, I'll be on the lookout for Bradley and the Bill crew if I get up there in the box myself before the season's out. <laughs> well, you'll know because mine is extra, 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 extra small. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Man, Bradley, let me just ask how you kind of came to be a videographer for KSTV. How'd you, 
take the journey into this direction? Well, you know, when I was in college, I didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, it was just one of those things where I was playing basketball, played college basketball at Spalding University, and once I was getting done, I needed to find something to do. And one of my professors said, hey, man, you need to get in television. I said, dude, I don't know anything about TV, don't know anything. He said, look, they'll teach everything. So anyway, long story short, I ended up interning at Wave 3, and and I ended up becoming a full-time employee there for seven years. I was tired of doing that, you know, working the news and chasing, you know, ambulances and wrecks and all that stuff. Uh, one of the producers that were at Wave at the time ended up going to be the producer at KSTV, and uh, he asked me to come over. He actually hit me on uh, a Facebook message and said, hey, man, would you like to come and co- cover all Kentucky, you know, Kentucky sports? And immediately, you know, I jumped on it. And then so after I started, you know, there, we were up and running. And like in 2010 was the first time we launched KSTV, and I was just a camera guy. And so now they kind of incorporate me being a co-host on the show, and also I, I do video work and, you know, tweeting and doing all that good stuff that you're supposed to do. So I'm kind of like a one-man bam. Wow. So it went from just ground zero to, to doing the whole shindig, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it was just one of those things that kind of just uh, each year – I did something different, you know. I would like be, I would learn how to edit, or I would learn how to run camera in the studios, or I would learn how to uh, do Chiron, or you know, just learn audio, do different things, and then eventually it led me to do what I'm doing now, covering Kentucky, uh, you know, shooting all the games, basketball, football, some baseball here and there, and and then co-hosting on the show. So it's it's a real fun thing. And that is um, give everybody the site CN. <laughs> It's mycn2.com, and uh, you can also follow us on uh, Twitter or Facebook, KSTV or KSTV underscore sports, or you can go to uh, Facebook, and it's Kentucky Sports Television. Uh, you know, you can click. We put all our stuff on the show on our website. Uh, we have some great stuff. We have stuff from, you know, after the game, before the game. We do stuff from our show. It's really cool. You know, if, if people don't understand what we, are, what we are about, you should go check us out because if you have Time Warner Cable, as soon as you turn your TV on, you see you see the weather and, and, and Channel 2. That's us. And our shows come on at 7.30 and 11. And uh, it's a pretty good show. If you're, if you're a diehard U.K. fan, you want to learn about everything about U.K., turn on to us, and it's, it's, it's great to watch. And, and, and you guys have a lot of personality. It's not just, oh, the cat's one by three. You all do – I know you all dress up. You do different things mm-hmm. to, to really keep it – to keep it interesting on top of being informative. And that's what, that's what I like about uh, what you guys do. Yeah, it's very, it's very, I mean, we have a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's usually Mark Krebs and uh, TJ Beisner and myself, and we're all good friends. You know, Mark was a former player at, at UK. And uh, so every year we do an 80 show because, you know, Kentucky hasn't beat Florida since 1986. So every year we do an 80 show. And uh, I've been in the past, I've been Michael Jackson, I've been Prince, and last, this past year I was Rick James. So if Kentucky doesn't win here pretty soon, I'm going to run out of characters. I think there's only left like Mr. T and then uh, the guy from Miami Vice. So I'm running out of characters here. <laughs> you, you, and, you, and, you and TJ as Proctor and Tubbs is going to be must-see television in my book. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you know, and every time we do those, a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, man, 
Love the costumes. You guys are funny. And that's what it's all about because we know that all the U.K. fans know everything it is about the U.K., especially when it comes to basketball. You know, everybody knows everything about the players and all this stuff. So we just try to give you different perspectives and have fun and, and, and have a little entertainment. You know, we're a 30-minute show, and we want people just to sit down and be able to eat dinner with their families, be able to watch our show, and, and get educated a little bit on about sports. I'm I'm not saying do this, Bradley, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying don't be surprised if, if these other suggestions come your way you know, on that 80s thing. If Kentucky doesn't get a win, don't be surprised if somebody throws out uh, Webster, Arnold, and Theo. Don't be surprised. I'm just oh. saying. Man, <laughs> man I'll tell you what. I would do it just because if somebody has suggestion, I'll do it. But yeah, I never thought about those characters either, man. You know, and uh, you know when you think about eighties, you just—it's hard to think back that long because you know the ones you saw on TV, and now you brought that up. I think Webster would be pretty good. I'm probably close to his height, so uh, it, it probably would work out well. <laughs> can you can you do the laugh? Can you do that laugh he used to do? I don't think I can. It's hard. Like, I would have to hear it first before I can do it and in practice. It was almost inhuman, though, the way he used to do that. I mean, it wasn't even almost humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, we know. went way back in a hurry. We went way back in a hurry. Look at here. Now, tell me, <laughs> you cover all the basketball and all the football games, right? That is correct. Sports season. Uh, August, September, all the way through March, April for sports on okay? mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I stay busy. And you know, I tell you what, I'm actually busy in the summer as well because we do a lot of the recruiting because you know how recruiting is big now for sports. You know, uh, basketball and football, I feel like it's all year round now. And so we do a lot of a lot of these camps. You know, we go to uh, Nike Peace Jam and we do the big AAU tournament comes here in Louisville. So we go through and we do a lot of recruiting stuff in the summer and we get to know those players before they get on campus so we can build that relationship when they, by the time they do get on campus and before Kentucky says, hey, you can't talk to them, we already know who they are. Yeah, getting to stand ahead of the curve a little bit. Mm-hmm. We do. We do. And so I'm pretty busy all year round. You know, everybody usually everybody says, you know, summer is your downtime, but with recruiting going on now, summer is like probably one of my busiest. Yeah, we we noticed that ourselves this past summer. There we we kept saying there's going to be a low. What are we going to talk about? But when you got Cal as a coach, you know basketball is always going to pop up with all kinds of things going on, and then with recruiting, so you never get that low like you used to get. Right, you don't, you don't, and then you know, and Cal, I mean he, I mean everybody says he's like a magician, you're making fun of him, but he really is. I mean, you look at this class this past year. We thought that he wasn't going to have anybody, and all of a sudden he gets Isaac Humphreys, and he grabs, you know, Jamal Murray. He he grabs all these kids late, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing what he can do, you know, and that's just the power of his of the program now, you know. At that first year when he started, we had John Wall and Cousins and Bledsoe, and all those guys come in, that laid the foundation. So now people see what he is actually doing and putting guys in the NBA, not just put them in there, but they're becoming all-stars. They're becoming franchise players, and, you know, they're making millions of dollars, and all these other kids are like, hey, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to try to, you know, make my dream come true. Oh, definitely, definitely. And one thing we always talk about, he's bringing in good kids. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not bringing 
kids with, with baggage. You know, that's right. the one thing that really sticks out when you get some of these top kids is they, they got these hangers on. They've got these, uh, well, hangers on. I'll leave it there. But you don't see that a lot with the with the guys that he's bringing into uh, Lexington. Yes, he is bringing in good kids now, and I and I think he kind of touched on that at one point. I think we TJ and I had talked to him off camera, and and I think when he was at Memphis, you know, he had to take a few kids that maybe been in a little bit of trouble here and there just to make to fit the roster. You know, they were great players, uh, but you know they had a little baggage when they came with them. But when he came to Kentucky, now he's getting these kids that have so to say, uh, two parents, and they're raised well, and their parents have money, and they have jobs and all that stuff. And so, yes, he's going into these homes now getting great kids, and they also are great basketball players. And so, yes, he has changed the culture here at Kentucky. We're talking with Bradley McKee, videographer for Kentucky Sports Television. Bradley, let me just uh, ask, since you covered football and basketball, what – you know, outside of being elected, what are your favorite venues to shoot at? What is your favorite venue and your least favorite venue to, to set up and do your thing? I, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I've been to, like, far as basketball, i tell you what, the most craziest, loudest, scariest place I've ever been in had to be when Kentucky played IU in 2012 when Christian Wofford hit that shot. It felt like every shot that IU made – it was like a game-winning shot, and it was so loud. And I was down on the floor, and whenever uh, they were taking the ball out and they were going to full length of the floor, behind me was the student section. And I can feel them breathing on my neck because they were waiting for whenever whoever hit that shot that they were going to run on the floor. And as soon as I saw Marcus T. get picked and Jordan Halls dribbled to his left and he pitched it back to Christian Wofford, which they'd done the whole entire game, I knew it was going in. And as soon as that shot went in, I just got moved to the half court within five seconds. And, uh, you know, as great as, you know, as much as Kentucky fans hated that game, but I thought it was a, such a great atmosphere. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, Kentucky went, went pretty much and ran the table. They got beat to Vandy in the SEC tournament. But that game kind of, like, brought Kentucky back to reality and said, all right, let's just go ahead and win this thing. You know, the pressure's off. We lost. And then, as far as football, I mean, last year I went down to Tennessee when they played Knoxville. Or, I mean, I went to Knoxville when they played Tennessee, and that that atmosphere was crazy. Every third down, Kentucky had they had little John on the big screen, and they said third down for what? You know, and they all were yeah. chanting it. You had a hundred and ten thousand people chanting third down for what? You know, and, oh, and that, that that atmosphere was crazy. I live outside of Knoxville. I'm born and raised in Kentucky, but I live outside of Knoxville now, so I deal with the ball fans all the time. And as crazy as it sounds, you know, I've been to Neyland several times as as a fan for Kentucky games. <clears throat> been to uh, watch Florida and Tennessee there. I was up in the press box for that game last year, uh, covering the game. As crazy as it sounds, the third down for what? in Neyland Stadium, the little craze that they, they hooked up and had little John on the big screen, and he tweeted back to UT and all this and that. Third down for what was played more than Rocky Top, and that is just unheard of because we all know every opposing fan base knows how, you know, irritated you get when you hear Rocky Top. They play at the death. Third down for what has overtaken that in Neyland Stadium. It is insane how they play that down there. 
Yeah, and it's crazy, and uh, you know it's a good thing for that. And I, and I understand what you're saying there because I felt like last year, I, you know, being at that game, you either heard third down for what or the Rocky Top song because Kentucky was always third and ten all the time, and yeah. they hardly got any first downs <laughs> that game. And then on top of that, you heard the Rocky Top song because I think they scored fifty some points on them. So I was irritated yeah. by, time, by by time halftime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> We had a Scott Anderson and Chad Pugh for a Nation of Blue. They were sitting right beside of me in the press box. They left uh, a couple minutes into the third quarter. They were like, man, we're getting back to Lexington. It's a basketball game tomorrow afternoon. We said enough. It was their first trip to New England, and they made it through two and changed quarters, and they, they rolled on out. <laughs> yes. I, TJ and I, we left after the third quarter. We couldn't do it anymore. We, Like I said, we had a basketball yeah. game to get to. And we 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 said, look, let's go. It was cold that night. We were we knew yes, they were going to get beat. And what was and what was Mark Stoops going to say anyhow after that? I mean, he going you know he, we knew that the players were going to be mad. Mark Stoops going to be mad. So we were like, we're out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you grow up a Kentucky fan? Are you from Kentucky originally, Bradley? Yes, I am originally from Kentucky. I'm I'm from eastern part of Kentucky, a little small town called Flemingsburg. It's in between Moorhead and uh, Maysville, Kentucky. And uh, and it's funny because my dad and my brother are huge Louisville fans. So I grew up watching a lot of Louisville games with Denny Crum era. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I was a L fan for a small period of time. And then after I saw the 1992, the Christian Leitner shot, I became a U.K. fan because I loved that team so much. They had so many hometown guys on that team and, and the way they lost the game. I just felt bad for him, and so I became a UK fan in uh, 1992. So you got all this. You got stuff in common with both Terry and myself. You got the Eastern Kentucky thing in common with me. I'm from Southeastern Kentucky. I'm, in, I'm from Harlan County originally. It's a little okay. bit closer to Tennessee and Virginia, right there where they all meet. And Terry grew up a Louisville fan as a as a kid, and then switched over to South. So we all kind of just got stuff in common. Yes, I know, yeah, and that's, I, it's funny how it changes. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, you know, I was born and raised a Louisville fan and made that transition. Now, one thing uh, that I find difficult to do when you're covering the Cats is kind of, you know, you stop being a fan and you have to, you know, get the job done. Do you find that a difficult proposition when you're, you know, you're kind of seeing how the sausage made? Does that make you more of a fan or kind of, a less of a fan the more you cover the teams. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have became less of a fan. I still am a UK fan, but now that I'm on I'm on, I'm on the inside and I got to see how every everything works, it's made me become less of a fan because it's hard to enjoy the game because you're caught up in trying to, you know, figure out what are you going to do? If they lose, here's a question I'm going to ask. If they win, here's what, you know, you're always trying to think about the show or think about your, your part of the job, you know, and what comes along with it. And uh, so it's hard to really be a diehard fan when you're actually covering a team. You know, if I was in the stands, heck yeah, I'd be joining it the whole entire time. But when you're actually covering a team, you're, it's a little bit more difficult and you become less of a fan because you know what really goes on. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I kind of see myself. It's like uh, you you really see the the players, especially as people, more than just you know 
how fast they can run, how high they can jump. When you're around them, you, you get to know them on a more personal level. And, you know, for me, it's like you're around them, and if somebody's going through a shooting slump, you kind of you, you feel for that person a little bit more. Uh, if, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm trying to say the same thing you are, that it's mm-hmm. the more you kind of see it, the more you're kind of you're a fan but not a crazy fan. Yeah, you get you get a little bit numb to it, you know, because before you actually started covering that team, you were a fan, you didn't know what really went on. And then now, like you said, you're around those players all the time, you get to know them and on a personal level sometimes, and then you just kind of take it for granted, you know, that, hey, I'm sitting next to maybe a possible millionaire and uh, where all these fans just want to have opportunities to have a conversation with them, and you're there at the game, you get to talk to them right after they got done playing whether they won or lost. And most fans, all they want to hear is from the players and coaches. So, yes, you do become a little bit numb to that. Yeah, I, I think the light went off for me. Uh, it was during the 2013-14 season when the Cats lost to Arkansas. I think it was in overtime at Rupp against – yeah. And and after the game, Julius Randle just looked devastated, like like his dog had died. You know, and you hear all these people talk about the one and done. They don't care. They're just passing through. They're not attached to anything. And then you see these guys after the game, and they care. You know, they care a lot to to go out and, and play and, and, and to lose. I mean, and you see that from Cal after a loss and from Coach Stoops, you know, uh, last Thursday. These guys care. You know, they care mm-hmm. as much as if and, and probably more than the fans care. Yeah, and, and it's funny to see that, too, because, like you said, lot, so many people have perspective, especially people on the outside looking in. They're like, well, these kids don't care about Kentucky. They just want to get go to the league and get paid. Well, if they want to do that, why they keep coming back? Why would they keep coming back for all these charity events and, and you know, and always tweeting about Big Blue Nation and, you know, and, and donating money to back to the school and doing all, this, all these things? So, yes, they do care. I mean, they put all their heart and soul in either whether it's there for one year or four years. You know, look at a yeah. guy like Alex Poitras. You know, Alex Poitras, everybody thought he was going to be one and done. Here he, is, here he is catching himself being here for four years. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing absolutely wrong with that, you know, because he he had injuries, you know, and then maybe wasn't the right time for him, you know, and everything. But I think that, you know, having guys around like him makes you love him more because he is around a little bit longer. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And – I haven't covered as many games as you guys have, but it seems like, you know, you guys talk about how uh, you're not as rabid of a fan when you're covering a game. It's To me, it's easier to put that hat on than you would think. Uh, you know, the first time, you know, they tell you when you're in the box, there's no cheering, there's no, you got to be quiet, you know, the etiquette and all that, and it's not rowdy up there like it is when you're, you know, among the fans. But when you're in there covering and, and in that box, it's like you automatically dial it down and you switch hats. And it's easier than I thought. I was like, man, I'm going to be the only one up in that box hollering and they're going to have to ask me to leave. <laughs> but, you know, it didn't happen. You know, <laughs> you know you're, you're tweeting about what's going on. You're trying to get your article ready. So, you know, third or fourth quarter, you'll get your stats right, you know, checking spelling and all that. It was easier to switch, to switch the switch off. I guess to switch the switch fan switch off than I thought it would be. You know, just from outside looking in. 
Because you got a yeah. job to do. Like Bradley was saying, yeah. he's thinking about, okay, I've got to do this write-up. I'm, I'm live tweeting. I'm, you know, I'm looking over the stats, you know, that they pass out. So there's a lot to process, and you're not watching the game so much as a fan. So it is a little bit, uh, you know, when you got something to do, I, I think it, it's easier to be detached than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with you on that, too, because me, I'm always, when I'm, when I'm there at the game, I'm into the game, but I'm always looking for that turning point, you know, uh, of the game, because for us, we're, uh, that's a discussion point for us on the show. When was maybe toes through an interception or, you know, uh, you know um, Charles Matthews threw a lob to Marcus Lee. Whatever the case may be that changes the dynamic of the game, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those big plays and, and when there's plays needing to be made down the stretch. I'm looking, into th- I'm looking into that. So not necessarily, you know, getting cheering in the game. I'm just getting caught up in the, in the moment like, oh, wow, this, this dude just threw an a 80-yard pass to, you know, Garrett Johnson. He caught it over the shoulder. You know, those are the things that I'm looking for. So, yes, you do kind of turn off being a fan and trying to hold yourself down from cheering. But once you, like you said, you're in that environment, you understand that, okay, everybody else is not cheering, so let me not make sure I'm not cheering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking with Bradley McKee, a videographer for Kentucky Sports TV. Website is mycn2.com. And then just scroll over to KSTV for all the sports there, as well as the other things, weather, politics, anything you want to click on, you can find it. Uh, Bradley on Twitter is Bradley underscore CN2. So follow him there, uh, as well as KSTV at KSTV underscore sports. Keep getting a frog in my throat, I apologize. Bradley, I got to ask you because it's in your Twitter profile right there up front. That about the B-roll. Tell us you got that B-roll. <laughs> Tell us what the B-roll is. Let us know. Let us know about it. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, you know. Uh, I, you know, I became a videographer, and every time when I first started, people would say, "Hey, man, you got that B-roll," like because you know I would always capture the big moments, you know, and that, and that's what you want to be when you become a, a videographer. You want to capture a moment. You want to be able to tell a story through your video without ha- actually hearing any words, and so. I took pride into that, and so, uh, you know, when I got that, everybody calls me B-Row Bradley, you know, and, I, and so I just kind of said, hey, I got that B-Row. If you need it, I got that B-Row. And just like uh, last week, I, I got a, a great shot of Garrett Johnson and, and Will Muschamp after the game. Will Muschamp came up to him and said, hey, I'm a dumb blank. Uh, I, I, I should have kept you. You're a great player. And so – I got that, and I heard it, and I thought, oh, wow, this could be pretty big. I didn't think anything about it. Uh, my good friend T.J. Beisner, he tweeted it out, and actually, no, it blew up. It was on the front page of CBS, uh, you know, and all the sporting news. Everybody grabbed a tweet, and, and it, it started running with it. So it was just kind of funny because uh, I was uh, in King, at Kingland Saturday, and I was with some U.K. fans, and there were some Auburn fans that were there, and they came up to me because they knew each other, and they said, hey, man, did you see a video of uh, – Garrett Johnson and Will Muschamp, and I said, "Yeah, I'm the one that shot it." And they're like, "What? You got that B-roll?" I said, "Yeah, I got that B-roll." You know, and so, uh, so it's one of those things where it just kind of, you know, I took pride in it, and so now I just kind of kept that as like my little slogan, I guess. I didn't trademark it or anything, but I just thought that, you know, when you see me, it's B-roll Bradley. I got that B-roll. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because we had Scott Uderback on. Uh, 
the Courier Journal on, I think over the summer, and he was just mm-hmm. talking about being at the right place at the right time with your camera and kind of, you know, hoping that you get that shot or you get that moment. You know, you take all these pictures and all these, you know, hours of film, but you capture that one like you did with uh, Must Champ, and, and, and that's that moment. You captured that moment, and like you're saying, it, it blew up. So that's – I know that all that hard work, you, you, you live for moments like that. Mm-hmm. I certainly do. And, you know, and, and going back to Scott Utterback, sorry not to cut you off, but going back to Scott Utterback, he was the one that hired me at Wave 3 to become a videographer. Uh, Scott and I worked together for uh, a couple of years while we were there at Wave, and I said, hey, man, I want to shoot sports. And he said, okay. He became the chief videographer. Uh, he was trying to get me on over there, and finally he got me on. And then probably not even a year later, he started working at the CJ, the Courier Journal, and uh, it, my, it just kind of went off from there because he taught me uh, so much. And great. And Scott Utterback is a great videographer and a great still photographer. Took the words out of my mouth, TV. I was thinking about the same thing about how we had <laughs> Scott on, and, and he was dropping knowledge. And, and I was asking him same basic type questions that I'm asking you right now, Bradley. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> hey, what? And I'm gonna ask you the same thing, as Scott. What is what is your favorite? Your favorite basketball clip that you shot, your favorite football clip that you shot, if you, you know, sort through all of them, if you had to pick one that just that you're the proudest of, what would they be? Well, for for basketball, I have to say the Anthony Davis block on John Henson for North Carolina. Oh. I, was, I was actually right in front of that where it happened. Normally where I sit on the court, I sit on the opposing team side on the very end. And uh, that right there, just seeing that in person and actually capturing that moment was crazy because, honestly, I thought John Henson was going to get the shot off. I mean, Anthony yeah. Davis was pretty much head underneath the basket. John Henson was probably a foot or two from the three-point line. And uh, when he shot that, I had never seen anybody get up so high and be stretched out so long like uh, go-go gadget arms. You know, Anthony Davis has his go-go gadget arms, and he just went up and got that block. That, to me, was probably one of, you know, when I got that shot, I thought, man, you know, that's that's an awesome shot. And as uh, far as football, I'm trying to figure out what moment. You know, there's the, – I mean, this year has been an exciting year for football, so it's been some great moments. And uh, But I'm trying to think over my past. I've got some pretty good shots as far as, like, being in the end zone and, you know, uh, a shot comes right at me you know, in the corner of the end zone. But it had to be, I, I, honestly, I think it was last year. I'm not for sure who they were playing, but I think Patrick Toes threw a corner uh, pass to Blake Bone, and it was literally right in front of me, and I was tight on the ball. And then when I finally zoomed out, I saw Blake uh, Blake Bone catching the end zone for a touchdown. So, um, but it's but it's been some good moments, man. It's been a lot of fun, and that's what you try to do. You try to capture that moment as it's happening because it's only one take, you know. You don't you don't get another take. Say, hey, play again. Do it, play again, so I get a better shot. You have to get it now, so you have to be ready. Have you ever got taken out? You know, the action spill over onto you, uh, <laughs> or you've been kind of pinballed and, and bowling balled you know, in, in the play. I've been hit a couple times in basketball on the baseline, be, just because when you're on the basketball court, you have to sit down Indian style, and so. You know, all everybody else is standing straight up. So I've been hit by Darius Miller. People that are just trying to save the ball from going out of bounds. Or actually, I've been I've been kicked a couple of times by Rick Pitino. Uh, he's actually likes to pace up and down the sidelines, 
and he doesn't really pay attention, so he just yells at his players. And there's been a couple of cases where he actually has uh, not not kicked me, like literally, but like accidentally bumped into me with his foot and was like, oh, I'm sorry. And as far as football, I've been hit a couple times, but for the most part, I'm standing up and I'm shooting, so I can feel it when the action is actually coming towards me, so I can move back out of the way. But basketball is a little harder because you're sitting down Indian style. Yeah, and, and I don't think people realize just how close you guys are to the court. I didn't realize it till I was able to, to get down there and you see it. It's a it's a tightly packed space down there. Uh, yeah. So I, I know I, I know I'm not brave enough to be a videographer. That I, I will sit <laughs> up in my seat and I will write about it. But those folks taking the pictures and everything, they, hey, hey, you all can have that. Yes, and you know it's crazy because you know when I sit down there, you think that oh you got plenty of room. No, you don't. You sit in Indian style. Your legs are going numb. You hadn't stood up for a while, so. Usually, if you just need to look during the halftime, see how many guys you see stand up and almost fall over because their leg is dead or, or their foot fell asleep. <laughs> you remember back in the day when, like, like the slam dunk contest or um, maybe an all-star game, something like that, where there's even more uh, photographers and, and things like that in the venue where the players, like, I think it was J.R. Ryder that stands out, guys were trying to do their dunk and didn't even have room that they needed to take off. Did you think that that was, as a videographer, were you like, man, I feel for those guys or we need our space or they should move the videographers back so he can have room? Where would you come out on that? Well, you know, it's always a touchy subject right there because, you know, uh, you, you want to protect the players. You know, obviously people pay money to come and see these players play. They didn't actually come to pay to see me shoot the game. So in that aspect, fans want to see him perform or whatever. So you do need to give him room, but you also got to respect the videographer's spot as well. You know, I mean, because look at the playoffs. I think it was last year, I think, or maybe this past year where LeBron ran into a cameraman. They try to blame the cameraman and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. for that. But he was actually in the spot where he's supposed to be. LeBron just kind of, you know, uh, did a dramatic fall and fell into the camera yeah. guy. So, you know, it's one of those cases where, you know, they're going to blame the camera guy because we know LeBron is the man. You know, everybody, you know, LeBron's a, you know, a million-dollar guy. You know, this videographer, he's not making a million dollars. He hurt LeBron. So it's a really touchy subject. He was just doing his job, uh, you know. But if you're in the wrong spot and then you trip a player or you're a referee or whatever – then you are to blame, you know, and so they can take your credentials away and you can be uh, training on Twitter. So uh, it's one of those hard things to kind of like, you know, as a videographer, I always try to make sure my foot's back and I'm in the right spot. So if they do hit me, I was like, hey, look, I was in my spot. So uh, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> man, let's, one last question, Brad, before I let you go, man. I see it's like your most recent tweet about five or six hours ago. And it's a screen. I've got, of course, I got my computer down when I'm on the show. But you got Terry Miners, and you tweeted, "Did, did this just happen?" It's something to do with the Louisville scandal. What did yeah. you say? What What happened? It's him there at WHS, HAS. What What went down with that? Well, well, he was talking about the Louisville scandal, and uh, he said that Rick uh, didn't know anything about it. You know, Rick didn't know anything about this. And if he did know something about it, and he, like, yelled and, like, put his hands up, was like, he would choke him. You know, it was, it was kind of funny how he said he would choke him. 
you know. And so I was like, what? And I was sitting there watching it as live, and I was like, did this really happen? So I, of course, you know, got the DVR. I rewinded back and just captured it and then put it on Twitter and said, did, did this really just happen? Uh, because I had never seen anybody be so dramatic about, you know, well, he was talking about Rick choking somebody, you know. And so uh, Terry Miner, he's a real good friend of, of Patino. So, uh, um, but I just thought that it was kind of funny, and so I just tweeted that out, thinking, "Hey, I, I'm sure somebody else saw it. Look, did you see this? Did, did, did this just this happen?" So, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, so, yeah, I'm gonna turn it up and, and play it after the show. But I just was going through your timeline. I'm like, man, I, I got to ask him about what this is. Everything in hope. Good stuff, man. Man, Bradley, we appreciate you hopping on, man. Uh, covered all kinds of stuff with you. And, and appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show. Uh, I look forward to meeting you like TV has at one of these upcoming games in the future, football game or basketball game. But uh, great work you're doing, man. Starting out from scratch to doing what you're doing <laughs> now, man. That's impressive. And uh, thanks for taking the time to, to share your knowledge with us on the show tonight. Well, hey, man, I, I tell you what, thank you all for having me. It was good to go back in my past a little bit, you know, and uh, give you a little history on Bradley McKee, you know. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope you guys can have me on uh, some other time. Hey, we, we love appreciate you, man. It. And, and I'll, I'll see you. I'm I'm, I'm covering, uh, I know, definitely the Charlotte game and maybe maybe Tennessee, but I definitely will see you a lot during basketball season, Bradley. Yep, so I will. I'll look forward to seeing you guys. Yep, I will be there pretty much every game. If I'm not there, uh, <laughs> that means I'm probably sleeping. <laughs> I'm, well, we appreciate I'm gonna, you stopping by. I'm gonna be at the Tennessee game probably just as a fan. I hope to cover the Louisville game and then some basketball games too. So, man, looking forward to meeting you. Thank you again for hopping on tonight, Bradley. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Appreciate it, guys. All right, take care. All right, bye. That's Bradley McKee, videographer for Kentucky Sports Television, mycn2.com. Click on KSTV and get all the footage, all the coverage. Get your feel of every bit of that. You bet it and already know what a good dude he is. We appreciate him hopping on with us this evening. Definitely, definitely. Uh, like I said, I've, I've run into those guys uh, a lot, and they've been nice enough to kind of uh, take me out of the wing, like a lot of folks have uh, at those games. And, and I know doing the video, that's way more intense than, than, you know, sitting up in the press box or sitting on the sidelines uh, at basketball games. And uh, I know they put in a lot of work to get those good shots that we kind of take uh, for granted. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, when you look at footage and, and videos, uh, we had Scott Utterback on now with Bradley. He'll just give us a little more insight and perspective as to what goes into all of that. Uh, I appreciate them hopping on and sharing their knowledge and uh, giving us a little sneak peek of, of what they do uh, every time they step on the floor for a game. We'll pop back, oh. take us a little quick break. We got, yeah, of course, the Louisville stuff. We got Mississippi State coming up this coming Saturday. Your 49ers got kind of a big game tomorrow night. Let's talk about that. 
My Cowboys got a big division game this weekend. Big Blue Madness to talk about. All kind of stuff still left to come in the second hour. Cat Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network. I'm Benny. He's Terry. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
uh, on Wildcat Blue Nation called called uh, Breaking the Cardinal Rule, kind of play on the uh, name of the, the book that uh, Ms. Powell wrote. Uh, first off, I, I personally don't think Rick Pitino knew of what was going on. I, I just I don't think that. But I'm not going to be like Terry Miners that Bradley was talking about and, and, and come out and emphatically say Pitino did not know with such conviction that a lot of the folks here locally are saying. I took a lot of heat for a tweet uh, that I tweeted out yesterday, you know, Seth Davis saying that he didn't think Patino knew because uh, he was 100% convinced of it. And, and I tweeted out, you know, we were convinced that Joe, Joe Paterno wasn't, was, 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 was honorable and this kind of thing. And a lot of people jumped on that saying I was comparing what happened at Penn State to what is to allege to have happened at Louisville. And that's not the point I was trying to make. What I was trying to say is you can't without a doubt say Patino didn't know, even though I think he didn't, I'm not going to bet the farm on that because we've seen other coaches we thought were honorable, not be honorable. So that's the only point I was making there, but it's an ugly mess. The entire situation there are no winners. You've got a woman who 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 pimped, essentially pimped out her daughters for money. You've got an assistant coach at a primetime basketball program engaged in what is, at best, bringing strippers onto campus for recruits and players. And at worst, it is it is ugly. It's an ugly situation, and. Uh, I'm not a huge Rick Pitino fan, but to deny what he did uh, for Kentucky when he arrived in in 1989, uh, it's disingenuous for Kentucky fans. He he brought the program back from as low as it's ever been back to, to championship caliber. And for him to potentially be undone by an NCAA scandal after what he did in Lexington, I mean, that's a sad tale, and, and that's not being a Louisville fan or a Kentucky fan. That's just being a human, that if he's undone by people he trusted, that's a sad story. And, and, and just being a human, your heart kind of breaks for uh, him. But it's just it's just ugly. It, it really is. And a lot of the Louisville fans are starting to lean toward Rick's got to go. I've always been – I mean, when he, when he left Kentucky and went to Boston, then, of course, it didn't work out there, and he came back to Louisville, I'll, I'll always be like, man, come on, man. The fact that, you know, he was looking at Michigan and, and looking at Louisville, and sure, there was that gap in between, but, you know, as a Kentucky fan, you're like, man, you come back to the to the main rival. Uh, it wasn't like he left Kentucky for Louisville, but still, uh, you're like, oh, man. But that being said, we are proud of those eight banners. Eight off Rups four. Joby Hall's one. Uh, Ripicino's one. Tuppy's one. Cal's one. We are proud of all eight. And like you said, Rick put a banner up there in Rupp Arena. So I've never just, I don't even know the word, just just despised him like, a lot of Kentucky fans, too. Like you said, I was like, come on, man. When he went to Louisville, I was like, come 
can't discount what he did. Uh, you know, 89, clean up Eddie Sutton's mess, to uh, building a contender, to winning it in 96, and Narnia winning it again in 97. That You can't act like it didn't happen, even though he's at Louisville now. So do kind of feel bad. Not as sympathetic due to the whole drama issue mess with, with the cypher stuff that happened before that got him in hot water, and now he's in hot water again. That makes you think, like, come on, man, you know, watch what you're doing. And, but from a human standpoint, you started like, wow, you, you, you do hate to see somebody just fall to pieces. Like, it looks like he's falling to pieces with this whole pretend pal under me and, and her daughter's recruits and your big name players at Louisville, uh, parents, just the twisted mess that this was from 2010 to 2014. Well, and here's the the problem, that here in the city of Louisville, Tom George and Rick Pitino, as Bradley pointed out, you know, Terry Miners is is a big media presence here in town. A lot of the media folks are friends with Patino and Jurich. They're they're good friends. Uh, Eric Crawford wrote a book with Patino. Uh, Pat Forty was of the Courier Journal, was at ESPN, now is at Yahoo Sports, has written books with Patino. So, what happens at Louisville, I don't think, gets the scrutiny that it does you know, what Cal gets at Kentucky. Because there's always going to be, whether it's Jerry Tipton or Alan Cutler, there's always going to be somebody in the room that's going to ask the tough questions. That's not the case here in Louisville. So what has happened is people initially, when the book first came out, when the, when the first reports came out at the beginning of the month, all these guys swore nothing happened. This was just a a, a woman that, that made all this up. Well, now we're getting confirmations, and those same people are saying, well, it happened, but there's no way Rick knew. Well, you know, let's let all the evidence play out first. Because as we see, you know, ESPN outside the lines, they start digging. They're finding some additional things. They've talked to people that have corroborated things. And like every good lawyer will tell you in a situation like this, stop talking. Stop talking until you know what the other side has because you don't want to back yourself into a corner. And And also today, I don't know if you saw this, but the Washington Post, there's an article that is coming out guns a-blazing on Patino not knowing what's going on. I don't think it was necessarily a fair portrayal, but, and I tweeted this out also to the Louisville fans, this is what's going to happen. You're, you know, right now, Louisville basketball and Rick Patino, they are the big pinata. And everybody with an ax to grind, over college athletics is going to use them as the as the poster children for what's wrong with college athletics. 
rightly or wrongly, Rick Pitino is now the face for everything wrong with college sports. And I had a lot of replies to that. Uh, as Kentucky fans, we've had to deal with that. You know, everybody that wanted to tell you what was wrong with one and dones, what was wrong with college basketball, always used Calipari as, as a poster boy for that, rightly or wrongly. And now that's what's going to happen. It's open season on Patino and the Louisville program. That's just the way it's going to be until the next scandal uh, comes out or until, you know, this situation resolved. And it could be a while. You've got the NCAA investigating. You've got uh, the University of Louisville doing its own investigation. And because of the age of, of some of the people involved, you've got police departments looking into this situation. So you got all these people looking, and, and who knows what they're going to find. You know, once, once you get people in your business and they're turning over stones, they're going to find something else unrelated that you don't want them to find. So it's going to be a long, drawn-out process uh, for the Louisville folks. But she documented everything you know, according to what she said on outside the lines, she, she kept records and all of this stuff. And here's the thing to keep in mind. She, in the book, she even gave out details, uh, you know, who was there at different hotels, room numbers, that stuff that's easily, you can verify that. And is all these Agencies start looking and, and hammering down the timeline, the text messages, the wire transfers, and that kind of thing, and you get a complete picture of what's going on. Uh, it's not a good. It's not a good look. It really isn't a good look for the university. Um, Patino has come out, and you know he's implored Andre McGee to come out and set the record straight, and this, that, and the other. Well. You you have to think at this point, McGee knows he's done. He he's done in college athletics. He's he's done. So is he going to fall on his sword and 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 say, you know, he did all this without anybody's knowledge, or is he going to say, well, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me, and that's got to be in the back of a lot of people's mind, especially. You know, follow the money. If you've got a grad assistant making thirty-five, thirty-six grand a year, he's not shelling out ten grand in cash for these activities. Somebody's bankrolling it. I think that's something we can all agree on. And if I'm not somebody, whether it's inside the department itself or a booster or whoever, I'm nervous. You know, it's one of those things. That uh, I, I'm, I'm nervous that McGee's just going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to burn it to the ground. And, and and then you've got all kinds of stuff coming out. So it's going to be interesting as this progresses. Once McGee finally talks, it's going to be interesting to see what he says and what it leads to. Yeah. <clears throat> and what is – I mean – What's best case scenario for her? I mean, if her daughters are underage, we know what that could be. But I mean, she's getting 
sales on Amazon for the book and all, but I mean, supposedly she went to the NCAA and, and kind of got deaf ears and then seems to go this route. But what, I mean, what's her focus? Well, you know. I, and this is just my speculation at this point. I think that when McGee left, she was under the impression that the arrangement, whatever that arrangement was, was going to continue, and it did not. And uh, as the saying goes, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And even to the point where she is telling the world, you know, she's in the running for the world's worst mother, she's admitting to, at the very least, hiring her daughters out to strip for strange men, that's the very least she's admitting to. Uh, she's just putting it all out there. She's just putting it all out there and seeing what happens. And it's one of those things, how many times do you see this in the criminal underworld? That There's a there's a woman, there's a jealous woman that, that brings it all down. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's how a lot of uh, these criminal, and seriously, a lot of these criminal empires uh, fall because of a scorned woman or, or something like that. So, um, you know, that's where we are right now. Uh, it looks like the Louisville folks are are digging in. Uh, they released a statement yesterday that there's no plans for Coach Patino to resign. Jurich is digging in. Uh, President Ramsey is digging in today. Patino is. Um, I think their thought process is they can ride this out because uh, as it stands right now, it looks bad, but they think they can ride it out with Patino. Uh, but my only worry would be what if something else comes out? You know, what if – because ESPN had some anonymous players. What if you have a star player to say, yes, this is what happened, then what? You know, that that's – that's that's my thought process on that. And she's just all about, like you said, if the arrangement didn't continue like she thought, she's just out to procure the income that she was losing or, you know, keep the stream coming in. So you got the book and, and all these other things, or maybe there's a settlement down the road or whatever. So like you said, that's that's her goal, you know, because you know we we saw the money that was coming her way, and then when he took another job, like you said, maybe she thought it was going to end. So there might be some other, you know, trump card that she got up her sleeve. You never know; it could be, and she she might be waiting to play it if she needs to, depending on how, uh, you know, Louisville University. Administration, Patino, McGee, and all those react. You know, she kind of, you know, will will that or display it or play it if she needs to, I guess. And that, and and that's got to be scary for Cardinal Nation as well. Because number one, she didn't come off crazy during the interviews. I mean, some of her claims are a little bit dubious. But even if you say half of what she says is is true, you definitely can't have that 
you know, on campus, just dorm. Even if they're just there, they can't be there. Uh, but if she's got something else, and you're wondering if McGee's silence kind of indicates that, but if she's got something else, uh, an ace up her sleeve, that she, you know, if if she's got a video or audio recording of somebody, uh, man, that that's a game changer right there. You know, I'm not saying she does, but you have to be concerned. Yep. Definitely do. So uh, it might be more to come. It might level off for a little bit and kind of quiet down. Uh, the shoot might drop in the next five minutes. We never know. Uh, but I will say that um, 790 KRD, you know, Tony Benetti and those guys in the afternoon, I was listening to them, and, I mean, he's been described as one who keeps it real, one who doesn't walk on eggshells like a lot of others in Louisville do, like you talked about, all those who are friends of Tino and friends of Tom Jurich. You know, buddy, buddy, we've written books together. We've got a relationship, and I, I, I don't want to uh, do anything to – to destroy that or disrupt that, Tony Benetti was keeping it real yesterday. I mean, he wasn't holding back. All this news was dropping, all the coverage, him right there in Louisville, and he was just telling like it is. A few callers called in and tried to come up with some kind of defense for the whole situation. He was like, look, you keep your head in the sand if you want to, but you know, he said he, he he the whole time he said, "Look, this isn't a happy day for Nova, but you can't, you know, just turn a blind eye to it." That dude kept it real, and it was as he described the worst, probably, probably the worst time in Louisville history. You know, an all-time low for Louisville basketball, and and he didn't blink at all. So you know, there are a few up there who can still be objective and be close. The situation and, and man, he kept it real, real, real yesterday. Yeah, it, it, and Vanetti's he's a he's a good one. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of folks that are on that other extreme where they are kind of Rick apologists. Even even before with his issue with Karen Cipher, I personally don't think that the the media here in town uh, pressed enough on that. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but now it's outside of that realm of of friendly media, and now you've got people, Colin Cowherd, you've got people with national pull calling for Patino's dismissal and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I don't know if they think they can hunker down and and, and weather this storm, but it, it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. That's for sure. So, uh, that's kind of our segment on all the stuff going on in Louisville. You know, it's not like we're gloating, but it's it's not like we just couldn't talk about it ourselves on the show. Uh, they're the rival, but they got some stuff going on. So we'll see what happens shortly or down the road, one way or another. 
all said and done. I'm I'm still kind of waiting for you know talking about outside the lines and all that. You know Charles Robinson at Yahoo, investigative reporter there. You know when he gets on something about bet something's about to go down. I haven't really seen him talking about it yet. Don't know if he will or not, but well, that's another thing. If he get on there and start tweeting and, and reveal some findings, that's another potential nail in the coffin too. Yeah, and 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 I, I feel that's what's going to happen is by coming out and 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 being so hardline and and definitive at this point. If Charles Robinson decides to start poking around and find something, like I said, you 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 painted yourself into a corner. So it's going to be interesting. Definitely, definitely, man. Let's catch our breath real quick again. Come back on the other side, talk a little Big Blue Madness, uh, MLB, and a little NFL to close out the last 30 minutes of the show. Listen to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Seven three 
at Cat Talk Wednesday, at Vinny Hardy, at T Brown underscore 80. <laughs> Facebook page, Cat Talk Wednesday as well. All those ways you can interact with us if you so choose to do if you choose to do so. Feel free. Um gotta talk about a little bit of this MLB that's going on in T B. You changed the Twitter handle because it's always compelling. You went with Terry Batch Brown. Uh, and I'm gonna say that's in homage to Jose Bautista who plays for the Toronto Blue Jays, I'm just guessing. As an Orioles fan, given allegiance to the Blue Jays, who live to fight another day as they beat the Royals seven to one. They now trail three games to two in the ALCS. Uh, so if the season did not end, Joey Bats gets to play at least one more game. Am I right in guessing that that's who you're paying tribute to with your latest Twitter creativity? Yes, yes. I did that after the bat flip, uh, after the home run uh, last week. Uh, I know being an Orioles fan, I'm not supposed to root for AL East teams, but uh, I'm keeping it fun. I'm keeping it fun. And the Blue Jays, uh, being north of the border, I'm gonna, I'm kind of pulling for them, even though they're they kind of dug themselves a hole. They won today, and uh, I hope they can make it on to the, the World Series. And so, you know, with you violating the ALE's code, you're breaking a card of rule. See what I did there? Yep. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> why people tune in is, is the witty repartee and then when we get on the Twitter machine and things. That's why uh, we've been doing this for 50 shows strong right there. That's right. And <clears throat> we had, if you look back to April, I think you pointed out, this is just a little recap of show history, throwing this out there all out of the blue. But I think it was in April, you pointed out that we have been on the air for a year. That's when you combine this show that we started ourselves plus our time on the other show before we launched this show. And now this is our 50th show, 50th show since we started this show together. So in two weeks, It'll be episode 52, 52 weeks in a year. That will put us at a year on this show together since we launched it ourselves. So it's confusing, but we can keep up with it. But just so everybody else kind of knows, that's approaching 52 episodes. Two more weeks will be 52 weeks on the air and have a year under our belts right here on Cast Out Wednesday. That's right. That's, that's big time, big time stuff right there. <laughs> Absolutely. And appreciate everybody listening and like the show, tell all your friends and family and fellow UK fans and fellow fans of other schools, let them know. Uh, listen in 6 to 8 every Wednesday or catch the podcast blogtalkradio.com slash cattalk. Uh, anytime you like. It's on iTunes as well. Same thing. Uh, so feel free to check it out. Feel free to call in if you want to interact any kind of way. Um, Kentucky Mississippi, no, well, we, we talked about the, the Blue Jays. Uh, let's go and talk about the bat flip because that went down. I went on a little mini soap. Uh, you weren't in last week, so I, I had to kind of preach a little bit about the bat flip situation. And speaking of, I mean, Jose Bautista, for whatever reason, I mean, he follows a lot of people on Twitter. He followed me, and I was like, wow, really? That's cool. Uh, so that's 
two major leaguers that followed me, Jose Bautista of Toronto and uh, Urban Santana, who last year was with my Atlanta Braves pitcher, now with the Minnesota Twins. So that's those two guys who just randomly thought I was worth following. Appreciate that. But I had absolutely no problem with Jose Bautista, a.k.a. Joey Bats, <laughs> slipping the bat after that dramatic home run. They gave his team the lead, uh, and, you know, they ended up winning that series against, who they playing, Houston? No, they yeah. were playing, uh, well, Kansas City was playing Houston. Toronto oh, right. was playing, uh, Toronto was playing, my Lord. Toronto was playing the Texas Rangers, the other team from the AL West. So they're playing Texas. Your thoughts on the bat flip? I've got an idea of what you might say, but where do you come out on that bat flip? I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, because here's the thing about baseball and, and, and why it's, it's popular, but not as popular. It's no longer America's pastime for a lot of reasons. But most of it is all these unwritten rules. And if you take a baseball and you can hit the baseball 400-plus feet, you deserve a, a moment of, of just to celebrate that. And... The unwritten rules say, no, you, you, you can't do that. Uh, you've got to just, you know, trot around. So I'm okay with the, the bat flip. Uh, just like Matumbo waving his finger and, and, and that, those, I, I'm okay with that. I, I really am. And uh, I don't see it being as big a deal as, as other people. Uh, I, I just don't see what the big deal was. I don't either. And and my thing, you get Matumbo with the backflip. Uh, the football guys show emotion all the time. Receiver gets the first down, meets the DB, running back breaks a couple of tackles, gets the first down. First thing they do is, you know, first down, or, you know, getting dramatic. Uh, defense line where a linebacker makes a play, a tackle for a loss. So they're animated, excited about what they just did. Let's just keep it in the sport of baseball. Let's not even branch out to basketball and football. Keep it baseball. This is what I said last week. Look at the circumstances. I mean, you should be proud of a home run at any time. You know, that's hard to do. But look at the circumstances behind Bautista's bond last week. They were playing Texas. Uh, and Texas won the first two games of the series in Toronto. Toronto had to fight and claw and scratch to win that series in five games. This particular game, Texas is winning, and let's see, it was three to two. Toronto fought back and tied it at three, and Bautista gets up with two men on. He's a three-run home run to, you know, essentially break it open, you know, considering it was late innings, postseason game. They're playing at home, fighting for their lives, and he just hit a home run to give his team the lead. The crowd is going crazy there in Toronto, and he can't be a little bit jacked up about what he did and, you know, defiantly throw the bat 
before he starts to try. You talk about the unwritten rules. Guys can't even stand and watch for a couple seconds. And a backflip, oh, somebody gets beamed the next time, you know. Uh, that guy getting beamed to somebody else in the lineup is going to take one from the pitcher because, you know, you're showing him up. But flip it over. When a pitcher is, you know, facing no outs, man on second and third, or bases loaded and one out, and they get out of that jam, they're the first ones to walk off the mound and, and holler or yell into their glove or scream or something because they just made – and they're excited. You know, they, they didn't allow the offense to, to have a big inning. They didn't give up, you know, four, five, six runs, you know, four, five, six, seven hits. They held the team at bay, got a double play when they needed it, got a strikeout when they needed it, and they're fired up. But, yeah, the guy hit the home run off of him, and he can't be fired up. So it's a complete double standard, and I didn't have a problem with the bat flip either. No, not at all. Not at all. And the Blue Jays live to fight another day. They got to win again for us in game seven. That's the case. Anything's possible. Uh, with Kansas City, the Cubs, on the other hand, in the National League, are really up against it now. As they're down 3-0 to the Mets, Cubs fans just here, and you know you got to feel for them because all these teams have been waiting a long time to win one, but the Cubs wait. I mean, 107 years. I mean, they're they're starved more than anybody else. Uh, I was talking to a guy who was glad that the Cubs were playing the Mets. He said, I'm sure glad we didn't get the Dodgers. And this was before the series started. I was like, man, you probably are going to wish you played the Dodgers. I, said, Cause, I mean, the Dodgers usually fade in the playoffs. Kershaw, as good as he is in the regular season, hasn't been that great in the postseason. I don't that grinky. The Dodgers have all this talent and have just somehow found a way to underachieve. The Mets, on the other hand, you know, me being a Braves fan in the NL East, we lost to them countless times this season. The Mets are still kind of under the radar with all these young guys they got. Everybody knows Matt Harvey. He had a good year, and then about Tommy John, and now he's back again this year. And say he had an innings limit, create drama. But these other pitchers, that uh, the Grom, Syndergaard, and these guys are still, even though they're in New York, kind of just laying low. Uh, they have absolutely shut the Cubs down. Uh, got all these guys out here with flowing locks, six, seven long-haired dudes just out there throwing gas. And the Cubs haven't been able to do anything with it. Grom kind of got a little bit of pub at the All-Star game this summer because he came out and just mowed down whatever American League batters he was facing. Uh, but they've done it all year. The Mets, April, May, and June, their offense was awful. They couldn't hit save their lives. They got that turned around, and now they already had the pitch, and they've just taken off. Uh, and so now they're one game away from the World Series themselves. So it's looking like Mets, and now we'll have to see uh, with the with the Royals and the Blue Jays. But it's going to be somebody new. Uh, I was talking about that the other day, too. Matt May's Giants aren't there. You know, the Cardinals aren't there. All these teams that have been there these past few years, no Red Sox, uh, none of that is – completely new when it comes to the Final Four in baseball this year. There'll be two new teams in the World Series and a, and a new champ that hasn't won in a while, regardless of who wins. And, and that's something that 
you know, it's been a while since we've had the usual suspects. Haven't had the usual suspects in the postseason. You know, with the Cardinals being out and and even the Dodgers being out, it's 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 fresh blood uh, all around. So that's what's made it a, a little bit uh, exciting. The one thing I would have to say about baseball, though, is the games are all over the place. Like, I'm not sure what channel all the games come on. It, it always <laughs> takes me a while to, to hunt and find. Uh, like, today's game was on Fox Sports 1, and it's just confusing. I would like that to be a little bit more streamlined. Uh, if if possible, that would be my one uh, takeaway uh, moving forward. Yeah, you got a you got a point there. Cause I I do go to Fox, Fox Sports One, TBS. Yeah, that is. You kind of have to <clears throat> jump around a little bit to find where it is. Uh, and I'd almost forgotten about Toronto being on. I heard on the radio they were playing after a little bit after four. Uh, flipped to the wrong channel, forgot. And then on the ESPN Classic, it was an old replay of Kentucky and Mississippi State from 1998. Tim Couch, Craig Houston, Derek Homer, our guy Anthony White, they came back to defeat Mississippi State 37-35. So I got to watch that. Um, then flipped up to, I think it was, Fox Sports 1 today, and they, they were flashing up the score and showing that Toronto had one. So, yeah, they they do just kind of randomly scatter them out over all the channels. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand you on that. Let's hop on to the Big Blue Madness real quick because that happened as part of a big weekend in Lexington, uh, the football game against Auburn. Had an NBA preseason game, but sandwiched in between that was Big Blue Madness. Uh, what did you think? Of course, it's not a lot of hardcore hoops. Uh, you get the, the big show. You coach Mitch out there doing his thing, threatening to retire. Uh, Mitch Barnhart had to come out and, and, and put him in his place and let him know you are not going to retire Vegas dance on, so he whipped the nay-nays. The girls, the women came out and, and uh, scrimmaged, and then the men came out in this 303 of the 505. So your thoughts on the whole Big Blue Madness? Well, uh, you know, I kind of go on the, the fence with this uh, because it, in our day, <laughs> it, it used to be a, a scrimmage. You know, the guys used to come out and they used to play and uh, but it's more than that. And since Cal has been here, you know, this is his seventh Big Blue Madness. And when you don't count the first one, six other Big Blue Madnesses and four times, you know, we've got a banner that's been raised. That's a pretty good That's a pretty good number. Uh, it's, it's a celebration of last season's accomplishments and it's getting you excited and ready for this season coming. So I'm on board with it. A lot of fans, I think, are kind of, it's too over the top, it's too this, that, and the other. But when you hear Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins who were there, who, like like Bradley said, you know, we've still got guys to come back. When you've got these guys talking about what it meant for them to come to Big Blue Madness and, and see – that basketball is pretty darn important here. You know, you can make your decision. Uh, you know, you're at Big Blue Madness, and you have to say, "Can I live with this?" You know, this, this 
the circus that is Kentucky basketball, or can I not? And I'm okay with that. You know, some people don't want that spotlight. I understand that. But if you come here, this is what we do, and it's not even for a practice. It's a glorified shoot-around is is all it is for the men's and women's team. But if you get that kind of energy for that and, and people camping out, that's become a whole thing. It just lets folks know just how unique the Big Blue Nation is. And and Cal gets to talk and and get his message out to the recruits, to the players and to the fans. And it's a good thing. It's it's exciting. Uh I'm all about it. Uh the production it of course it's over the top. I mean that's this whole <laughs> event is over the top. And you see how many teams how few teams even do things like this. Uh again, it's what makes Kentucky basketball special and I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah. Alabama gets, you know, seventy thousand for their spring game. Kentucky gets twenty four thousand for the Big Blue Madness. Not every school in those respective sports can do that. So that's why, you know, Alabama's spring games on T V and now probably going forward, Big Blue Madness is gonna be on T V. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's unique, and that's you know, uh, TV's going to jump on it and, and capitalize on it because the fan, the fan base generates that. You know, tradition uh, plus the potential for future success year in and year out. You know, it breeds that year in and year out. And it's, it's funny that you know you bring up Alabama because most folks uh, in 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 the sports world that you talk to, Alabama football and Kentucky basketball fans, they're the craziest or, or whatever you want to categorize them, but they're, but they're equal. You know, Bomani Jones yeah. has touched on this, and he said, yes, they're passionate, and, and, but football in Alabama and basketball in Kentucky, it, it just means more than in other places. There's not a lot else going on. There's not a lot of other things you can kind of hang your hat on from those states, and that's what makes Kentucky basketball and Alabama even more important. And I agree with that to some extent. It's, yeah. it's special to me because I've told my girls, and, and I'm sure you, if you haven't already, you'll tell your son, I have yet to be anywhere on earth, wherever I have been, and I've had on a Kentucky shirt or a hat or what have you, and I've not had somebody come up to me and give me a go cat. And I've been crazy places. I've visited Charlottesville, Virginia, and I've had a fan come up and say, hey, go cats, go Big Blue. Just random places. I've talked to people that have traveled internationally. I had a friend that went to South Africa, had a Kentucky T-shirt on, and somebody said, oh, go cats. That is really what makes it special, and that is why things like Big Blue Madness are as big as they are, because it's more than just a basketball team. And I'm not one of these people to say that our lives are totally dependent on the team. I'm just saying that we care about this more than other fan bases do. Rightly or wrongly, that's just the way it is. And when you're part of the Big Blue Nation, it is something special. It is something to celebrate. And that's why I like the big blue, uh, big blue madness. Yeah, absolutely. 
And we, at the end of the basketball, as it was winding down, uh, we talked about how we were a little bit slow to transition into football. We knew it was coming, but, you know, didn't hadn't really just headlong into it. And, of course, now we are, you know, they're 4-2 and still on pace to do big things. Are you slow to transition into basketball now, or are you ready to jump into it? Because it's come to a point where we kind of got to balance the fandom with football doing good and basketball doing good. Uh, it's happened in the past, and it looks to be happening again now with March 2 getting the football program built up. Are you – because, you know, Big Blue Madness, while it is still grand – like it always is, you know, everybody's kind of jumping and consumed in the football and, and buzzing about it. And like, oh, yeah, man, this is here too. Got to balance them both. Are you are you hype about basketball like you normally are? If, say, the football team was, you know, two and four instead of four and two, where you're looking to jump on into basketball? Or... Well, and, and I've talked to our good friend uh, Michelle at Forever Big Blue uh, on Twitter. I, I think that the the Kentucky fan base we can spread our attention, and and, and we have to because as we've seen, it's more than just a basketball school. You know, volleyball has been on a tear lately. I think nine or ten matches in a row, they have just been killing it. And if we want football to succeed, it's got to hold our attention all the way through at least till Thanksgiving, you know, around the Louisville game, and then we can, you know, get ready for that bowl game. But we've got to be able to to pay attention to more than just basketball at one time. And I think we can. Uh, because if you pay attention, we are really being competitive across the board. And yeah. I'm going to pay attention to everything, as I do, you know, with the yeah. soccer team, with the volleyball. You know, I'm following all these Twitter accounts. I'm checking out as many games uh, on the SEC network as I can, going to as many games as I can, uh, because I'm more than just a Kentucky basketball or football fan. I'm a Kentucky fan, and whatever Absolutely. that is, if, if if those student athletes are putting on the blue and white, then we owe it to them, no matter if it's golf or, or uh, baseball, track and field, what have you. They deserve the same support as as the, the basketball and, and football players. That's just my personal uh, opinion. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, I've kind of got a little piece of the works, just bouncing around little ideas. Uh, and I'll do on CameronMillsRadio.com about that here in a little bit. I just gotta finalize everything and then <clears throat> drop it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little something about about our, our fandom of all the sports and, and and what have you, like we talk about uh, volleyball. Real quick, they are like you said, six and one in the conference. Uh, sitting atop the SEC, half game lead over Missouri, who's five and one, uh, a game lead over Texas A&M at five, and, uh, game and a half up on Florida, who's five and three. 
Uh, they are now even with Florida. They won at Florida. Florida won at Kentucky. 13-6 overall, 7-1 in the conference. And, you know, hitting that groove at the right time, you know, uh, rolling into to conference play and getting stronger. You know, a little shaky from the beginning, but now they're getting right when you want to be right. No, oh, definitely. And, and you know, as the seasons wind down, uh, I think that all the Kentucky programs, they're set to make some noise in the postseason, which is, which is definitely what you want to see. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and soccer is nine, four, and three, three, three and two in the league. Uh, log jam there. Tennessee three, three and two. Vanderbilt three, two and three. Uh, Florida soccer is up five, two and one. Big old log jam, but they're still uh, contending as well, and right there in the thick of things in the SEC also. Uh, switching over to football because Mississippi State is this Saturday. We talked about Auburn. Look ahead to Mississippi State. <clears throat> on the road, this is the opponent from the West, SEC West, every year to cross our opponent in Starkville this time. Uh, last year they came to Commonwealth as the number one team that did Mississippi State, uh, 145-31. Kentucky was in the game, hung with them. You know, Toes played well, and all of them played well. <clears throat> Mississippi State isn't as strong this year as they are last year. They're 5-2, and two, losing to uh, Texas A&M and LSU. They still got Dak Prescott. He hasn't thrown a pick all year. Still got Debrunyan Wilson, a big 6-5 receiver. So they still got talent, still got players. It's going to be uh, a difficult task to go down there and win, but Kentucky is capable uh, I'm going down there and, and knocking them off and moving to five and two themselves uh, if they put everything together. They've, uh, Kentucky's got the work cut out for them, uh, but this is one of those games. Uh, is it going to be easy? No. Uh, but one thing I did like in the second half of the Auburn game is defensively they were really stout against the run. And when you're going against Dak Prescott, you definitely want to be stout uh, against the run, and you want uh, to make sure that you can keep someone to spy on him to keep him from making plays downfield and and, and keeping him from making plays outside of the pocket. Uh, Freddie Maggard has talked about that probably top to bottom, the two best receiving cores in the SEC are Mississippi State and Kentucky. Uh, And it's going to be a challenge for both secondaries uh, to cover the wide receivers. I think the key is going to be the offensive play, offensive line play uh, for Kentucky. Can they protect Tolls and keep him upright? And can they make holes uh, for Boone Williams and company to run through? For uh, a chunk of the Auburn game, the offensive line, they just weren't getting it done. Outside of the 60-yard run that Boone had, uh, in the first quarter, uh, we really weren't running at a good clip, and, and Tolls had a lot of pressure. Uh, but they made the necessary adjustments to really get back on track, and I want to see that carry over. Uh, we still have not seen the Cats come out to start the first quarter and the third quarter 
with them with the same energy and, and, and uh, that they need to. And, and I'm excited, and hopefully that uh, in Starkville we can see a full 60 minutes of the cast dominating, really like they did for the second half against Auburn. Can they do that for 60 minutes? The talent is there, the depth is there, so let's 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 get it done. And I think go down beat Mississippi State that that will. Uh, further the, the the notion that this is not the same Kentucky Wildcats. So it's a challenge, and I know that Coach Stoops and company is ready to take that on. Yeah, definitely are. Uh, <clears throat> if you're uh, listening now, the on-air portion will cut off. We're going to go a couple minutes over. Uh, but you catch everything that we say past 8 on the podcast, like we mentioned, blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk. Um, stopping the run will be a little bit more difficult because Melvin Lewis has been lost for the season. Lost, he had a leg injury uh, against Auburn. The, the replay showed it looked like he just, when he came out of his stance, his, his left ankle just buckled initially, uh, and then. Pursuing the play and moving on down the line, he ended up getting bent back and hurting it even more. So, so Jim Smith tweeted out about a half an hour ago that Josh Forrest, Melvin's roommate, said that he had surgery and the surgery went well and said the big fella's just relaxing and trying to get healthy now. So we definitely wish a speedy recovery to Melvin Lewis. He'd definitely be missed on that defensive line, anchoring it like he did throughout the first half of season. Uh, Matt Elam now will get more runs uh, and have a chance to put his stamp on the defensive line uh, and not just kind of rotate in like he has. He'll be asked to do a lot more uh, and it'll start this coming Saturday down in Starkville. So uh, we'll see how he does with more playing time. And uh, we've been kind of looking forward to it. Now we get to we finally get to see it, and he's gonna have to kind of step up and, and jump right on in there. Yeah, and, and this goes. This points to you hate to lose Lewis. I mean, let's not yeah. sugarcoat that. But there's still depth there. There is still quality guys that you know you need to go with that that old adage, you know, next man up. And and we can do that now. And that that's a that's a good sign for the program. So I, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Uh, he still, of course, got the size in the book. Concerns if how he can hold up. You know, if teams try to go no huddle and keep him out there on the field. Uh, Big George Massey has been on the show, friend of the show, the former D lineman at UK. Kind of talking about that as well. Still want to kind of see how he moves. Uh, at that size, especially if teams try to go quick on him. Uh, so we'll see how he responds to that. But he, he has his opportunity now. Uh, like you said, the, the depth is there. Uh, C.J. Johnson has played big along the line. He had that 19 tackle performance against EKU. Uh, been defensive player of the week, defensive lineman of the week. Uh, so the players are still there, and they'll have their hands full against the Bulldogs. But it's, it's going to be fun. To, uh, to see how it plays out Saturday. Um, I think this is one that I have them winning. It's going to be tough, but they can, especially offensively, you know, 
this time, I think they have more weapons than Mississippi State. You know, last year, Mississippi State had the Josh Robinson kid, the running back that was so hard to tackle, uh, and some other players as well. I think offensively, Kentucky can put the pressure on them. Like you said, play a full 60 minutes because Auburn took in a hole in that first half. Kentucky just wasn't quite able to dig out of it. You know, you had the the red zone interception where Kentucky would have at worst gotten a field goal um, through the interception in the end zone. Baker had the drop there in the end zone. Uh, Bidette had one down the sideline. He could have uh, would have definitely liked to have corralled uh, the little bitty pass to Boom Williams out the flat where he was just ready to explode and tear on down the field, start running before he made the catch. But those, you know, little bitty things, like you said, just you know, things that slip through their fingers. So if you can carry over the second half, jump out to an early lead and get out to a fast start, uh, it definitely be good to see a play for a full 60 minutes. Before we shut it down, we got to hit NFL, man, because your Niners got a huge game tomorrow night, a short week. My Cowboys play the Giants on Sunday. But 49ers, Seahawks, tomorrow night, primetime, got the, you know, stage all to themselves. And, you know, you – kind of bracing for some bumps in the road from San Francisco. Seattle, shockingly, <laughs> excuse me, is 2-4 and four as well as they keep, you know, letting games slip away late. Both of these teams, 49ers and Seahawks are 2-4. and four. Uh, The Cardinals are 4-2. They lost to the Steelers. Uh, so they haven't ran away from you guys yet. 2-4. and four. Both of them. I mean, what this game is huge, and it's a huge rivalry anyway. It's at San Francisco, so if the field holds up, do you think your 49ers can get the win? It's going to be interesting. Uh, both teams have gone from being the preeminent rivalry in the West to uh, having rough seasons, but this is a game even at two and four that if you win, you can you can kind of use that uh, you know three and four you can you can maybe sneak into the uh, into the playoffs. You get a couple of wins and 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 move forward from there. So it's going to be interesting. Um, what happens uh, tomorrow. Uh, Again, I've been saying this, I think, since this summer. I don't know what's going to happen. Kaepernick looked good against uh, the Ravens on this past Sunday, but I don't know what's going to happen uh, moving forward. So uh, I'm going to watch, and hopefully they can, uh, you know, prove me wrong and show a little something, but it's, uh, Kaepernick, this is this he is. I, I think he is auditioning for uh, to, to to really be the man. And, and the, do the Forty ers need to move in a different direction? He's got the rest of this season to prove to prove that he can do the job. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, you had the 
to the Seahawks. They lost opening day to the Rams. Uh, went up to Cincinnati, had a lead, lost it. Uh, had a big lead, or you know, a, a decent lead against the Panthers this past Sunday. Uh, gave up 80-yard drives left and right. Greg Olson just running right through the LOB. Richard Sherman, Cam Sessler, Cam Newton were throwing lasers all over the field and leading the Panthers back. Um, we see this with teams, you know, the window opens and then it closes quickly. Uh, outside of the Patriots who, you know, have kind of had help in staying relevant, you still got to give them credit for the, the evaluations and, you know, when the sign guys, when the cut guys. But, you know, it happened with my Cowboys. You know, had a three- or four-year run, and then age and frenzy creeps in. It's happening to me with Seattle a little bit faster than you would think. You know, you had the Chancellor got a new contract, wanted another one. He held out the first two games. Um, they got Russell Wilson back under contract to a big deal. But now, you know, Sherman is getting beat. He's not as formidable as he seems to be. There was, you know, arguing back and forth, and things are just kind of crumbling. Fred Jackson and Marshawn Lynch are drag racing, and Fred Jackson, you know, has a wreck. You know, that's the last thing they need, you know, after losing another close game. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on in Seattle. Now they got to go to San Francisco uh, on a short week, and, and both teams desperately need it because, like you said, they can get themselves right back in the mix uh, if they find a way to win. Same thing for my Cowboys. They play the Giants again, who they've already beat. You know, beat them in week one. The Eagles did everybody a favor by beating the Giants on Monday night because the Giants could have tried to uh, separate and, you know, put some distance uh, between themselves and the rest of the division if they won. And they actually looked, well, they looked horrible. They lost 27-7. Intercepted Sam Bradford all over the place, but yet couldn't do anything with it. So that kept everybody all together. Eagles three and three, Giants three and three, Cowboys two and three after having a bye. So same type of thing with Niners and Seahawks, Cowboys and Giants. Big game that maybe get a little momentum and, and make some hay in a division that isn't that great, especially the NFC East is horrible. Uh, Matt Castle gets to start. Flirting with trying to bring Des Bryant back. I think he needs to keep sitting. Don't don't rush him back. As bad as, you know, we love to have him, and, you know, Jerry Jones wants him out there, Dez wants to be there, don't go out there and just render yourself, you know, cutting out, coming out of a break on an out route, and then you're out again. Go ahead and keep keep rehabbing to where you know you're ready to go. You know, same thing with Romo, because he's going to be one hit away whenever he comes back, you know. So you get these guys healthy. You want to get them back in probably win this week division, but don't be crazy and, and risk long-term health to do so. So uh, we'll see what happens with both of our teams this coming Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, with those division games going on starting tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be watching that game, and it's going to be uh... – it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I don't even have the, the foggiest idea uh, what's going to happen to punch with you. I, I really don't. You're going to be fired up? You're going to be nervous? You're going to be skeptical? A little bit of all of that or none of that? How are you going to be when it's I, time to kick it off tomorrow? 
I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I've, I've had no idea what to expect. Is this a four-win team, eight, ten? I, I don't know. Um, so I think this game, because both teams are going to need a win, you know, uh, for for both teams, the playoffs start now because you, you yeah. go to two and five, okay, your season is done and you're looking toward next year. But three and four, with the Cardinals not getting that far ahead, you, yeah. you can still fight for something. So it's going to be interesting how both of these teams come out, especially on short weeks. Seattle, you know, coming off a loss. The Niners coming off a win. It's going to be very interesting uh, because Cap Kaepernick looked very accurate and, and comfortable uh, in the game uh, this past week against Baltimore. So it's going to be interesting to see how he continues or is there going to be a regression? There's a lot for 49ers uh, fans to really pay attention to with this game. Yeah. And your 49ers and my Cowboys are, they're fortunate to still be right there in the mix, considering all the the losses and all the stuff that's going going on. You know, they, they still, if they can put something together, you know, can, and get right back in the thick of things or even, you know, control things if we really get optimistic and things go right. Speaking of, you got, you got Navarro Bowman. I saw where he is third in the league in tackles, 59 tackles. Is, is he where you thought he'd be? Is he even better than you thought he'd be coming off that horrific injury? Uh, and has he bounced back even more than you maybe thought he would so far? Yeah, and even though he was in on that last play against the Giants a couple of weeks ago that the Giants scored that, that last-minute uh, touchdown on, when I've watched him, it, it doesn't look like he's lost a step. Uh, he's still uh, able to get out and pass defense, and he's still very strong against the run. So he, it's been a pleasant surprise, which is good when you look at some of the losses, that, especially on the defensive side that the 49ers have had to – uh, deep with this past off season, uh, his return, Bowman's return, has been a very uh, bright spot for the team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, all the best to the Niners, all the best to the Cowboys. We'll see what happens. Speaking of pleasant, we had a, a pleasant show. It's fun to have you back tonight, and uh, we covered a lot of stuff and had a lot of fun. So, uh, appreciate you bringing it like you always do week in week out. Oh, you know we got to have some fun. Absolutely. So uh, thanks to you. Everybody check out T. Brown underscore 80 on Twitter. Check them out at wildcatsconvention.com. Check us both out at cameraspillsradio.com. Thanks to TV. Thanks to our man Bradley McKee for coming on and joining the show. Uh, Thanks to everybody listening and tweeting in. Appreciate Miss Kentucky Diane for checking us out. I hope she joins us again next Wednesday. We're on a, as Tony Rally likes to say, a 23-and-a-half-hour break. We are on a 166-hour break because we'll be back this time next week at 6 p.m. for another episode of Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Bradley Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Have a good evening, TV. You do the same, and I'll see you on those Twitter streets. No doubt, man. Y'all take care, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Have a good night, everybody. Everything that happens to me, I love it.
I love it. I love it. Everything that happens to me. I 